morning, everyone. Greetings to all of you. How was your walk with God last week? I guess that's a question for all of us. You can turn your Bibles to Matthew 16. Matthew 16. We have a question in this passage that um, I would like for us to consider this morning. Verses 13 through 28, I'll read those verses. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. <clears throat> and Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged, he, then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited, if he shall gain the whole world, and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father, with his angels, And then he shall reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. All right, so the title of the message is, Whom Say Ye That I Am? We have this question that Jesus is personally asking his disciples, Whom Say Ye That I Am? This was a very important question for the disciples, and I think it is just as important for us today. Whom Say Ye That I Am? I'd like to consider this question in relation to our commitment to Christ. Who do we really say God is? Just before um, Jesus asked this personal question, he asked the disciples what everyone else is saying. Who do they say I am? And the disciples had an answer for that. Um, Some think you are John the Baptist, some Elijah, Jeremiah, or just some prophet. And, you know, generally speaking, at least here in North America, um, and I know that is changing rapidly as well, but many people are accepting of at least some parts of the belief of Jesus. Yes, there are the atheists and the agnostics, but I really believe the greater threat to Christianity is Christianity, in quotes, itself. Um, It's easy for us to say, I believe in God and not really be truly committed to him. We say we'd never use God's name in vain, but we go about living our Christian life almost as loosely. 
You may know, the, may know the song, He's More Than Just a Swear Word. I'll read that song here. His name is voiced in every conversation. He's now become a superstar, they say. But oh, the curse it's bringing to our nation when men proclaim his holy name in vain. He's so much more than just a swear word, more than just an I don't care word. How can we use his name so recklessly? Our only hope is in this one word, whosoever will may come word. He's more than just a swear word. He's a precious son of God. It's hard to understand how those around us are plunging to a lost eternity. And all the while they say the name of Jesus, but they curse the only name that sets them free. No, we may not use um, God as a swear word. But how much is he just a convenience, a crutch, an afterthought? We easily become callous to how God's name is used, um, not just verbally, but in all of life. And maybe we blame the world for this. Yes, they are accountable to God. But what about us as Christians? Maybe we are the more to blame because we aren't answering this question unashamedly and boldly like Peter. And it's probably not fair to say that we, it's more important than ever to know who, and to believe who Jesus is because it was important all the time, all of life. But there are so many voices in the world. And are we pointing Jesus or pointing people to Jesus? Do we really know who Jesus is? And talk about voices. um, Have you heard of the AI Jesus? There's actually such a thing, an AI Jesus. But Jesus is more than AI. We don't know all the implications of that. But... The point I'm trying to make is let's prove to the world who Jesus is. We need to know that for ourselves. So whom whom do we say that God is? Peter's answer was, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm not sure if the other disciples had the same answer as Peter right at this moment or not, but it was a question they all answered at some point, and it's a question that we all have to answer as well. Whom do we say that God is? It is really the most important and demanding question of our life. Our answer to it determines our destiny. It determines where we will spend eternity with God in heaven or apart from God in hell. Verse 13, Jesus asked this question in Caesarea Philippi. And you may ask, well, what, what is the significance of that? Well, nothing in itself really that I'm aware of. But what I want you to know is the withdrawing and spending time with God. He stepped away from the crowds with his disciples. Jesus was preparing his disciples for when he was no longer with them and preparing their hearts and minds by asking them this great question of all times here at Caesarea Philippi. Time alone, time to pray, time to be with God. Can you think of the most significant times of your life? Those apart times, those times when you answered the question and committed to God more fully. Maybe you keep coming back to that very same spot and renewing that commitment. Maybe we don't have a Caesarea Philippi quiet corner exactly, but we need a Caesarea Philippi in our hearts, a place where we can can connect with God and commit our lives day by day to him. Verses 13 and 14, um, we see that Peter's answer was different from the world's answer. And we had talked about that at the beginning a little bit. But we must answer who Jesus is personally, but we also need to be aware of what men think of Jesus. 
because it determines their destiny as well. It determines how to reach out to them, determines their reaction to us as we witness to them. And it also determines, to a large degree, the morality and justice of society. There were false confessions regarding Christ. The popular opinions showed that Christ was highly esteemed and greatly respected. John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or some other prophet, he was considered one of the greatest of men. What was wrong with this opinion? They were basically saying he's a really good man, a good person to know and to be connected to. What made these statements so dangerous? Is that what they... Um, what made it so dangerous is that they were only half-truths. People were deceived and misled by them. Herod was trying to justify his wickedness by saying Jesus was John the Baptist, and others who believed this merely saw Jesus as the promised forerunner and not the Messiah himself. Elijah was considered the greatest prophet of all times and was predicted to be the forerunner of the coming Messiah as well. William Barclay points out that even today the Jews expect Elijah to return before the Messiah. In the celebration of the Passover, they always leave a chair vacant for him to occupy. Elijah also did miracles, and the people connected that with Jesus. Jeremiah was another prophet. The truth in this was that some great things were going to be revealed to them about God and religion. Again, it had always been thought that Jeremiah was going to return to earth right before the Messiah and bring with him the tabernacle, the ark, and the altar of incense. He was said to have taken these and hid them in Mount Nebo right before he died. And to sum it all up, some said, we, we just know he's one of the prophets. Everyone can more or less agree on this and get along. Jesus is a good man. In fact, if everyone tries to be um, a bit like him, this world would be a pretty good place. We don't all have to believe the exact same thing. We just know he's a prophet. Those misconceptions and confessions of Jesus still go on today. And we need to ask ourselves this question again. Whom do I say Jesus is? I have a few verses here I'd like to read, Matt. Mark 6, verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. John 1, verses 10 through 11. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. John 8, verse 19. Then they said unto him, Where is thy father? Jesus answered, Ye neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. First John 2, verses 22 to 23. Who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. <laughs> In 1 John 4, verse 3, Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Peter's answer, or his confession of God, was a personal trust in Christ. It was a conviction of his heart. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Our very life and survival our survival of our soul and of the church as a whole rests on this confession, conviction, and commitment. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I don't think Peter at this point still fully understood all that was involved with Jesus Christ being the Son of God. The cross and the resurrection had not taken place yet. But he had a simple trust and commitment 
to be all out for Jesus. Our first steps are the same way, aren't they? We never fully grasp the immensity of who God is, but we step out in faith and commitment and say, I believe Jesus is the Messiah. He's not just merely a man. He is the Son of God, and he is sent by God, and he fulfilled all the prophets foretold. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Mark Matthew 10, verse 32 Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Mark 8, verse 38. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Luke 12, verse 8, Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 17 Um, the good, we see the goodness of God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. We wouldn't even get to the believing and confessing of, of Jesus if it wasn't for the conviction work of the Holy Spirit. Man cannot quicken himself. He cannot give spiritual life to himself. Only God can. Man cannot regenerate himself. Only God can. Man cannot redeem himself. Only God can. And man cannot provide eternal life. Only God can. John 1 verse 13, which are born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus 3, verse 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. 1 Peter 1, verse 23, Being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. 1 John 5, verse 1, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. God is calling us all to answer this question. Whom do you say that I am? It's a huge question. It's a hard question, simply because it extends further than simply answering that question. We already said how important it is to have that answer. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But what does this answer all entail? Natural man has been led away from the spiritual. And um, I quote this next section here because I feel it's very well said. Natural man has been led away from the spiritual by pride, power, fame, wealth, and glory, by the prejudices of education, the philosophy of humanism, the limitations of scientific methodology, and the materialistic results of technology, by the pull to disbelieve, the lack of courage to buck the crowd, and the hesitation to surrender all of self and possession to Christ. By the love of the flesh, the enjoyment of looking, the stimulation of touching, the sensation of experiencing, and the consumption of tasting. By the deceptions of the evil one, the lust of the human heart, and the sins of personal behavior. 
God called Peter to answer this question. Peter answered, and in verses 17 through 19, Jesus commands and exhorts Peter. God also charged him with a responsibility, and God used him to begin the great work of the church. Peter was very instrumental and used by God. Peter had a great responsibility, but all believers have this responsibility. We all are the servants of God, ministers, teachers, laymen alike. We have been given the gospel and the keys to the kingdom of heaven. In verse 20, Then charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Why did Jesus tell his disciples to tell no man? There could be several reasons, but I think the greatest reason is the Holy Ghost was not yet come. The disciples needed the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit's power to be effective in the Lord's work. We can try to do things to to do good things, to um, be a good person and tell others about who Jesus is. But we cannot do it on our own. We need help from the Lord and the indwelling of the Spirit. What does thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, all entail? You see verses 21 through 23. We cannot avoid the path of the cross. Jesus says, savor the things that be of God. And this is where we move into cross-bearing and the commitment to Christ. When we truly say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, we are surrendering ourselves. We are committing to Christ, and we are taking up the cross. I really believe, and I mentioned earlier in the message, that the greatest threat to Christianity is this lack of commitment. We say we believe in God, and that's about as far as it goes. We must will to follow Christ. Have a deliberate, be deliberate about our choice. We aren't half-hearted, and we voluntarily determine to follow Christ. When we make this deliberate choice, we will do the three things it mentions. Deny self, take up the cross, and follow Jesus. So first of all, we must deny self. The word deny means to disown, disregard, forsake, renounce, reject, refuse, restrain, disclaim, do without. It doesn't sound very pretty. Simply put, it means to say no. However, the call is not about being negative. It's much more than that. It's saying yes to Christ and no to self. It's repulsive to our human nature. But when we let go, God gives us such freedom and more than we could ever imagine. So we let go, but then we must take up the cross. People in Jesus' day knew what it meant to take up a cross. They saw many criminals bear the cross to the place of their death. What does the cross mean? Do we merely look for hardships? Do we merely just bear the hardships in life, like poor health, abuse, unemployment, sickness, loss of family and friends, um, invalid parents, unsaved friends, or wayward child, whatever it may be? It may involve these things, but the cross is an instrument of death, not an object to carry or bear. We die mentally and actively in our hearts. We deny ourselves daily and moment by moment. We live and breathe the mind of Christ. We humbly and actively choose to take up the cross. Romans six eleven through 13 Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. All right, we deny self, take up the cross, and then we follow Jesus. The word follow means to be a follower or a companion, to be a disciple. 
we seek to be in union with and in the likeness of Jesus. As in the other two, and as well as, as in following Jesus, it's not passive. It's an active commitment that requires lots of energy and lots of effort. It requires zeal and passion. It requires struggling. It requires getting up again when we fall. Peter failed miserably at times, but he got up again and he followed. We will meet with failures too, but let's get up again and follow Jesus. You know, in verse 21, we see that the steps of Christ led to death before they led to glory. Likewise for us, death before glory. Why commitment? Uh, There are four reasons I think we see here. To save our life, we must first lose it. So often we seek to preserve our life, but we do all we can to stay young, um, make a life more comfortable, easy and secure, secure beyond what is necessary. Then we neglect God in the process. So often we look for wealth, power, and fame. We love the thrills, excitement, and stimulations of the world. And through it all, we say that we know Jesus, and he wants us to enjoy life to the fullest. True story, but the fulfilling life and the eternal life he is offering first comes by losing our life, sacrificing and giving our all to him. So why commitment? Now, the reason a man's soul is worth more than the whole world. This word soul translates from the same word, life in verse 25 there are two stages to life you could say the life we live on earth and the life we live in eternity we are born into this world to exist forever but when we leave this life where will we be will we be eternally with god or eternally separated from god it's speaking figuratively here because no man literally can gain the whole world but we value our life on even smaller things sometimes our soul is far superior to um, the things of the earth because everything else fades and passes away. Everything we have is only for a short time and most things sit and remain unused most of the time. Our soul is eternal, but even the whole world will pass away. Time is still here, so we still have the opportunity to commit and allow God to save our souls. But if we lose our soul, it cannot be bought back. Not even the whole world could save us from this predicament, gone forever. Luke 9, verse 25, What is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Matthew 8, verses 11 through 12. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom, false profession, shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew 22, verses 12 through 13. And he saith unto them, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment, speaking of righteousness? He was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. John 15, verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whosoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you, so that whatsoever ye shall ask. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, But I keep under my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And Luke 21, verse 34, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, until that day come upon you unawares. So why commitment? A day of judgment is coming. Are we truly committed to God? Are we boldly proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Or are we ashamed of him like it says in Luke 9, 
Verse 26, For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. If we are, then we have no hope of Jesus boldly claiming us as his own when he comes for his bride. Why commitment? A promise is given. A promise of never having to taste death. Verse 28. But if you compare... Uh, yeah, I'll read verse 28, actually. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And I'd also like to compare that verse with Mark verse 9, verse 1. It makes it a bit more clear, I think. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Jesus is speaking of the power of the kingdom, his death. And resurrection. He broke the sting of death. Ever since the Pentecost, we also had the Spirit indwelling the hearts of believers. God's kingdom had come and brought power beyond anything the disciples ever expected. Power each of us, even today, can tap into and make it ours if we truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Power to live committed lives on earth and the promise and hope of eternal life with Jesus in glory. Jesus implores each of us, whom do you say that I am? So I I ask the question too, whom do we say that Jesus is? We all need to answer that question, and quite likely, we all have the same answer this morning too. But the deeper question, are we committed to making him Lord of our life and allow him to be king in our hearts and lives? Let's kneel for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you that we come here to worship you this morning. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to serve you faithfully and to know in our hearts who you really are, that you are Lord of all. And pray that you would help us to live lives that show that, show that to the world, so that the world does not have so many confusing voices, but they can say who, who Jesus really is. Pray that you would bless those who weren't here this morning. Um, sickness or newborns or whatever their um, lot in life is. Pray that you would just give them special blessing today. <clears throat> Pray you also uh, be with all your people throughout the world. Help us all to be faithful to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.